Section 20 of The Science History of the Universe, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 3. Edited by Francis Rolt Wheeler. Electricity, Chapter 4. Electromagnetic Machinery. Part 1. As previously related, the relations of electricity and magnetism were established by the investigations of Orsted, Ampere, Arago, Faraday, and others, but the one to whom the most credit is due is Faraday. He not only made discoveries of the greatest importance, but he followed up these discoveries with such true explanations of their principles that these explanations have become the basic laws of electromagnetic induction. Faraday, however, did not care to make practical use of his discoveries, being sure that others would do so. What were some of these discoveries which have been of such great value to succeeding generations? One of them was a modification of Arago's experiment in which Faraday rotated a metallic disc between the poles of a magnet, and by connecting one wire to the shaft of the disc and another in rubbing contact with its rim, produced a steady deflection on the galvanometer. This was really the first electromagnetic generator. Here Faraday produced a continuous current without that drawback to direct current machines of the present day, the commutator. It has from time to time been attempted to build machines based on Faraday's experiment, but the voltage generated was not sufficient for practical purposes. Recently, however, owing to the introduction of the steam turbine with its high speed, generators have been built of large powers and voltages of 600 or more, which are based on this principle. In this experiment of Faraday's, then, was the beginning of the modern electric generator, with its almost unlimited power of changing mechanical into electrical energy, or vice versa. Faraday did not, at first, use an electromagnet but in his first public demonstrations used a very powerful permanent magnet. Faraday made many other experiments in the induction of currents, culminating in the production of an apparatus known as Faraday's ring, the ancestor of the modern alternating current transformer. The first development of Faraday's discovery, says Henry Morton in his Electric Lighting, was made by P.C. of Paris who in 1832 constructed an apparatus in which a large steel magnet was rotated so that its poles continuously and successively swept past those of an electromagnet, or U-shaped bar of soft iron, whose ends were surrounded with coils of copper wire. This motion generated in the copper wire rapidly alternating electric currents, which were commuted, or made to pass out of the machine, in a constant direction by a simple commutator on the axis of the revolving magnet, which shifted the connections each time the direction of the current was changed. In the machine of Pixie, near the top, are seen the copper wire coils wound on cores of soft iron, like thread on a spool. Immediately below these is the permanent magnet, of a U-shape, and so supported that it can be rapidly rotated about a vertical axis midway between its poles, so that each pole is caused to approach, pass, and recede from in succession each of the iron cores of the coils. Immediately below the bend of the U-magnet 
are the commutator segments pressed upon by the contact brushes and below these again is the gearing by which the magnet is made to rotate machines operating on the same principle but varying in construction as for example by rotating the electromagnet or coils of copper wire while the steel permanent magnet remained stationary were brought out by saxton of philadelphia in eighteen thirty three by clark of london in eighteen thirty four and by page of washington in eighteen thirty five none of these machines however was of sufficient size to be available for the production of a practical electric light although they all exhibited a capacity for this effect on a minute scale the first magnetoelectric machine of a magnitude sufficient to operate a practical electric lamp was that produced by the united labors of m nollet professor of physics at the military school of brussels and his assistant constructor joseph van Malderen, under the auspices of a corporation composed of french and english capitalists and known as the alliance company strange to say this machine was built with the absurd object of using it to decompose water and employ the resulting gases in the production of light this machine with some modification by mr holmes of england was under the superintendence of faraday himself introduced into two of the english lighthouses at south foreland and at dungeness its preliminary trial was made in eighteen fifty seven the electric light was first thrown over the sea from the south foreland on the evening of december eighth eighteen fifty eight and from dungeness on the sixth of june eighteen sixty two figure twelve shows in outline one of the alliance machines as modified by mr holmes which was long since put in operation at the south foreland lighthouse the outer framework supports twenty-four compound steel permanent magnets and a drum inside carries thirty-two armatures or spools of copper wire wound on iron cores as these pass from pole to pole between the magnets currents are developed which are carried off by commutators on the farther end of the shaft not shown the electric light was not introduced into the french lighthouses until december twenty sixth eighteen sixty three when it was installed at la hive near harve it was also used for lighting works of construction such as the cherbourg docks and on some vessels for example on the lafayette and the jerome napoleon although faraday lived to see the little spark which he had developed from a magnet and coil of wire in his laboratory grow into these magnificent luminators of sea and land it was not until after many years and numerous new developments that the electric light approached the commercial utility which it today possesses these alliance machines on account of their great size and multitude of parts were very expensive thus the two machines placed in the dungeness lighthouse with their engines appliances and lamps or regulators cost four thousand seven hundred sixty pounds or nearly twenty four thousand dollars the two located at souter point in like manner cost seven thousand pounds or about thirty five thousand dollars and the machines and accessories for the two lights at south foreland cost eight thousand five hundred pounds or about forty two thousand five hundred dollars the same characteristics cause them to be liable to accident and injury and costly in repairs the world therefore waited for some further developments 
before it could enjoy generally the advantages of electricity as a means of illumination. The first of these came when Dr. Werner Siemens of Berlin constructed a machine in which the revolving coil or armature was made of the form shown in figure 13 and was entirely enclosed between the ends of the permanent magnets. To construct this armature, a long solid cylinder of soft iron is taken, and two deep grooves are cut on opposite sides through its entire length, so that its cross-section is such as appears at F in the accompanying figure. Insulated copper wire is then wound lengthwise in these grooves, its ends being united to the section X, Y, of the commutator. Journals on which this armature rotates are provided at either end, and at one end also a pulley by which it may be driven by a belt. This armature secured a great concentration of action by bringing the revolving armature into a highly concentrated field of magnetic force and allowing it to have a very rapid angular velocity of rotation. But the chief value of this improvement consisted in its serving as a step toward another, which was most remarkable in its results and excited the liveliest interest all over the world when it was announced. This next step was taken by Wilde of Manchester. He took a small magneto-electric machine, such as had been constructed by Siemens, and carried the current from its commutator to the coils of very large electromagnets, which constituted the field magnets of a similar machine, which, however, differed from the other, or Siemens machine, both in size and in having its field constructed of electromagnets in place of permanent magnets. Figure 14 shows such a combination, in which the first or small magneto-electric machine is mounted on top of the other and sends the current from its commutator through the coils of the electromagnet below, between whose expanded poles another Siemens armature is made to revolve. Under these circumstances, the current developed in the armature of the upper machine by its permanent steel magnets will develop a more than tenfold greater magnetic force in the poles of the electromagnet of the lower machine, and the second armature rotating in this powerful magnetic field between the poles of this large electromagnet will develop a more than tenfold greater current than that of the smaller machine. This method of multiplying or creating magnetic force was a wonderful discovery and combined with the use of electromagnets in place of permanent magnets for the production of the magnetic field, gave an important increase in power and efficiency to the machine. For as compared with permanent magnets, the power of electromagnets is vastly greater. This advance made by Wilde on April 13, 1866, was quickly followed by another, made almost simultaneously in Europe by Varley, Siemens, and Wheatstone and nearly a year earlier in this country by Mr. M. G. Farmer, whose work in another department of electric lighting is to be treated in more detail farther on. This development may be indicated by the term self-exciting, and consisted in the discovery that if the commutator is so connected with the coils constituting the field magnets, that all or a part of the current developed in the armature will flow through these coils, then all permanent magnets may be dispensed with and the machine will excite itself or charge its own field magnets without the aid of any charging or feeding machine. There is in all iron, unless special means have been taken to remove it, a little magnetic force. This small magnetic force, called residual magnetism, 
in the iron cores of the field magnets will produce a little current in the armature when it is revolved. This current flowing through the coils of the field magnets will increase their magnetic force and thus cause them to develop more current in the armature, which in turn, flowing through the coils of the field magnets, will further increase their magnetic force, and so on until maximum, determined by the structural conditions of the machine and the amount of driving force applied to the pulley of the armature is reached. In practice, such machines are each complete within themselves. When started, they develop for a few moments only very feeble currents, but within a few seconds they wake up by degrees and reach their maximum in less time than it takes to read this paragraph. One other radical improvement in dynamo-electric machines remains to be recorded, namely that due to the French inventor Gramet. The essence of this lay in the structure of the armature. While previous to Gramet, all armatures had been constructed either like spools of cotton or like balls of yarn wound on blocks. He made his armature by starting with an iron ring, itself consisting of a coil of soft iron wire, and winding the copper wire on this by passing the end of the wire again and again through the ring. A Gramet armature ring cut and bent out partly and with some of its copper coils removed is shown in figure 15. The cut ends of the iron wires constituting the ring core are shown at A and B shows a portion of the copper wire coils wound around this ring core. The copper wire is continuous throughout as regards its electric connection but at frequent intervals a loop of this wire is carried out and attached to a segment of the commutator. This armature being rotated in a magnetic field, i.e., between the poles of powerful field magnets, tends to deliver a substantially continuous current to brushes touching the commutator segments at points midway between the poles of the field magnets. It will be remembered that the iron ring constituting the core of the Gramet armature was made of iron wires and not of a solid piece or ring of iron. The object of this was to prevent the formation of electric currents in the ring core itself, commonly called focal currents, which would be a cause of inconvenience by heating the armature and of loss by wasting energy in the useless production of this heat. The Siemens armature had no such provision, and accordingly very serious difficulties were experienced in the running of machines using such armatures by reason of the intense heat there produced. Arrangements were in fact made in many machines to relieve this symptom by running cold water through the armature made hollow for that end. But this did not cure the disease or prevent the loss of efficiency caused by the conversion of the driving energy into useless heat in place of useful current. The desirable end was, however, soon secured by laminating the armature core, that is, making it up out of a great number of thin sheets of iron insulated from each other and held together by one or more bolts the merit of this invention appears to have been assigned by the united states patent office to edward weston september twenty two eighteen eighty two a weston generator of about eighteen ninety is shown in figure sixteen in comparing this with the modern machine the most marked feature is the large and heavy field magnet Edison's first generators, of which some are still in operation, 
also contain these tremendous field magnets. These large field magnets were made necessary because the idea of embedding the wires in the armature, in slots, had not yet been originated. The fields were therefore made powerful in order to force the requisite magnetic flux across the large air gap into the armature. By the later improvement of embedding the wires in slots in the armature, the air gap was much reduced and the fields made proportionately lighter. This decreased very considerably both the weight and cost of the machine. A change in the design of direct current generators of considerable importance was occasioned by the desirability of connecting them to slow-speed engines of the coreless type, engines of low steam consumption. To accomplish this, many poles were arranged in a circular yoke, and these were called multipolar generators. Upon the introduction of the high-speed steam turbines, however, the number of poles was again decreased to two, four, or six, and the weight of a machine of given power was greatly reduced. Herein lies one of the advantages of the steam turbine for driving generators. The dynamo is first of all a generator of alternating currents, and the commutator was added for the purpose of rectifying them. This commutator was always a source of trouble, mainly on account of sparking and the wearing away of the brushes and commutator surface. On the other hand, continuous currents are, in many cases, much easier to handle than alternating ones, and it was this fact which caused so much effort to be spent on the development of direct current apparatus. Direct currents could be transmitted with less loss of voltage in the line, and direct current motors were quite well developed before 1890. These two very important facts caused the direct current to reign supreme. In the latter part of the 80s, however, its overthrow began and ever since it has gradually been declining before the advance of its more flexible rival, the alternating current. At that time, Nikola Tesla took out patents covering the principles of the induction motor, a motor which, on account of its mechanical simplicity, rapidly found favor, although inferior to the direct current motor in many respects. The fundamental principle of these motors lies in the production of a rotating magnetic field which field drags along with it at a somewhat slower speed a cylindrical armature called the rotor an idea of how a rotating field is produced by the action of polyphase currents is given in professor s b thompson's elementary lessons in electricity and magnetism it is obviously possible he says by placing on the armature of an alternator two separate sets of coils one a little ahead of the other to obtain two alternate currents of equal frequency and strength, but differing in phase by any desired degree. Gramet, indeed, constructed alternators with two and three separate circuits in 1878. If two equal alternate currents, differing in phase by one quarter of a period, are properly combined, they can be made to produce a rotary magnetic field, and in such a rotary field, conductors can be set rotating as was first suggested by Bailey in 1879. Consider an ordinary Gramet ring, figure 17, wound with a continuous winding. If a single alternating current were introduced at the points A, A prime, it would set up an oscillatory magnetic field, a north pole growing at A, 
and a south pole at a prime then dying away and reversing in direction similarly if another alternate current were introduced at b b prime it would produce another oscillatory magnetic field in the b b prime diameter if both these currents are set to work but timed so that the b b prime current is one quarter period behind the a a prime current they will then combine to produce a rotary magnetic field though the coil itself stands still this is quite analogous to the well-known way in which a rotary motion without any dead points can be produced from two oscillatory motions by using two cranks at right angles to one another the impulses being given one quarter period one after the other the above combination is called a diphase system of currents if the b b prime current is one quarter period later than the a a prime current the rotation will be right-handed another way of generating a rotary field is by a triphase system or so-called drestrom of currents let three alternate currents differing from one another by one-third period or 120 degrees be led into the ring at the points a b c the current flows in first at a and out by b and c then at b flowing out by c and a then at c out by a and b again producing a revolving magnetic field this is analogous to a three crank engine with the cranks set at 120 degrees apart one of the important features of these motors is their successful operation at high voltage 11000 or more another feature is their mechanical simplicity there being no commutator rings brushes or other parts to collect dirt and thus interfere with the operation of the machine as previously stated alternators are usually wound to generate two or three phase currents although they may be built for other phases in the last few years however the three-phase generator has practically controlled the field on account of the wide use of three-phase currents historically the generators have developed in the order of single two and three phase the first generators to come into commercial use were single phase i e had a single winding in the armature a notable instance of the use of these generators was the first plant of the telluride power company in colorado where a single phase generator was connected to a water wheel and the electrical energy developed again converted into mechanical energy by an exactly similar machine used as a motor when an alternating current generator is used as a motor it is called a synchronous motor for the reason that its speed must be absolutely synchronous with that of the generator alternating current generators are thus reversible in their action just as are direct current generators they are not however usually self-starting but require auxiliary motors to bring them up to speed after the development of the induction motor it being necessary to have polyphase currents for the production of the rotating magnetic field two-phase generators came into use probably the largest of these are located in the first and second niagara falls powerhouses where there are 21 each one being of 3750 kilowatts or 5000 horsepower capacity in transmitting this power to buffalo 
it is first changed into three phase by a simple connection of transformers known as scott's connection because twenty five percent of copper is saved thereby in the more recently constructed generators three phase windings are almost exclusively used principally because of the advantage of three phase transmission it is a notable fact however that these generators were used in the frankfurt laufen transmission of eighteen ninety one in germany transmission being affected then as now by three wires these alternators are now built in sizes as large as seven thousand five hundred and ten thousand kilowatts or ten thousand and thirteen thousand horsepower end of section twenty